Right, so tonight we're thinking about, we're in chapters 12 and 13, so do grab a Bible and flip it open to Revelation 12 and 13. We're in part two of Revelation. In part one, we saw the throne room of God and the lamb that was slain. And there's worship and praise. And then we saw these seals being opened, do you remember? God's plan for the future of judgment, of salvation. Jesus was the only one who could open those scroll, those seals. And we've seen over the past couple of weeks the, the sevens. We've seen seven trumpets. We've seen seven seals being opened, showing us God's judgment, God's salvation, his plan going forwards. We took a little bit of an interlude last week, and we're carrying on in the interlude this week and next week before we get to the final set of seven seals, and that's the end of part two. And then it gets even weirder for part three. So we're here today in chapters 12 and 13, and there's two signs we're going to see, and there's two beasts that we're going to see. And as we go through, I want, you to, I want you to try and understand what's going on, that there is a war both in heaven and on earth. So two signs, two beasts. Here we go. Let's delve in to chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it together. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been held down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and all who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been held to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the snake's reach. Then from his mouth, the snake spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman 
by opening its mouth and swallowing the river so that the dragon that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Sounds like a film or something, doesn't it? Two signs. Let's look at the first one. Sign number one is this woman. It says in verse one, doesn't it? A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed. She's clothed with the sun, moon under her feet. She's got, what, a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now remember, number 12 has been really important as we've gone through Revelation. It's represented God's people. Yeah, you remember that? And she's got these crowns on. There's some kind of ruling thing going on here. Now, remember, anything in Revelation is, is not necessarily new because a lot of it's taken from the Old Testament. So the more we know our Old Testament better, the better Revelation is as we read it. So here, if you look back to Genesis 37, verse 9, remember Joseph, he has this dream, do you remember? And, and the sun is his father Jacob, the moon is his mother Rachel, the 11 stars are his brother, and he's the 12th star. Do you remember that dream? And there comes all God's people. And so here's two ways of saying this. This woman, maybe, maybe it's Mary. I think it could be. It could be Mary. But I think it's bigger than that, or maybe as well as that. It's representing all God's people here. And then we've got this second sign. The big red dragon. It's red, which is a symbol for death and killing and attacking and violence. It has seven heads. It's given some kind of complete authority given to him by God. It's got 10 horns. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. It's very, very powerful. It's got seven crowns on its head. It's got some sense of authority in the world as well. These two sides, this woman, all God's people, this, this dragon, the enemy. And there's this horrific scene, isn't there, in the scriptures as, as we read. The woman is, is, is led there, about to give birth, and the dragon is there waiting for the baby to be born so that it might devour the baby. It's, it's, it's horrific. Who do you think they're talking about? Jesus? It, it seems to make sense, doesn't it? It seems as though it is Jesus as we read through this. If it is Mary, then quite literally. But Matthew 2, as you read through the Christmas story, you see this kind of happen pretty much as it is. So remember, Matthew 2, Jesus is born, and, and Herod is there ready to kill all the baby boys, you remember? And, he, and he's taken away with his mother to Egypt, to a safe place. Perhaps that's what it's talking about here. I don't know. And so when you think about Christmas, this is Christmas here. Forget about little meek and mild baby Jesus. This is a big red dragon standing before Mary or whatever, about to devour Jesus because he hates him. He wants to overpower him. He wants nothing to do with him. This is Christmas. Christmas is about war. So maybe rather than giving a little teddy bear to your nephew, give him a pitchfork next time. Don't do that. And then there's this war in heaven. Angels against angels, and, and the dragon is hurled down with all his angels. Six times in this, in this chapter, it says he's hurled down, he's hurled down. 
The word for that is kind of like bumped out. You know, like if you have a little bump, like he's bumped out of heaven. It's quite, it's quite humorous. And he's left to his devices on the earth, this enemy, this snake, this devil, to do what? To wage war against Christians. So if you sit here tonight and you're thinking, why is this world full of racism and abuse and cheating and lying and sickness and death and disease and horror and war and famine? Why is the world like this? What's gone wrong with it? Well, here's the answer, isn't it? God tells you here, we're in a war with a, with a very real enemy who has been defeated, but still has power. And he's coming after God's people. He's not happy because he hasn't got Jesus. He didn't get him. So he's going after the next best thing, his people. And how does he do this? There's two signs, this woman, this dragon. How does he do this? There's two ways in this passage that the enemy goes around in today's world and, and seeks to devour God's people. Here's the first one. Look at verse 10. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been held down. And this is, I think, one of the biggest ways that the enemy, the devil, whatever you want to call him, uses to attack Christians, accusation. You're not good enough. You, you can't live up to God's holy laws. You can't do it. So why try? Just go and enjoy yourself. I don't know. And he wants you to go back to sleep. You know, here's a bit of Netflix. Here's your phone. Just like, go back to sleep. Shh. Or, you, or you sit there as a Christian and, and, you, and, and you're like, oh, I just, I can't read my Bible. Like, I can't read my Bible. I'm just I'm not going to read my Bible. Like, I can't do it. He accuses you. He's like, you, you can't read your Bible. Or he's like, he puts that thought in your mind like, oh, I, I can't be the one to tell my mates about Jesus or to, or to live a radical life or to commit 10 minutes a day in prayer. I get like, I don't have the time. Like, he puts that thought in your mind. He accuses. He comes up with all this, all this trash that's just in there. But here's the thing. Accusation only has power if you agree with it, right? The devil can say all of those things to you. You're not good enough. You can't read your Bible. You're your prayer life is rubbish. You can't reach your friends with Jesus. He can say that. He can accuse you. But it only has a grip on you if you say, yeah, you're right. Don't believe it. It's a lie. It's of the enemy. He's seeking to devour you, to pull you away because it's his only tactic. He wants you to, to stay sleeping as a Christian and just dormant. You can just go through life and not really do that much, just go through the run-of-the-mill stuff, get a job and have family, like all that stuff, then he's happy. But here's the truth. The enemy does not get to define you. He doesn't get to say who you are or how you're doing. God does. So don't believe it. You, you can overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb, 
when he says you're not good enough. I'm like, no, I'm not. You know that thing where you agree with a bully? <laughs> no, I'm not. But Jesus is. And he vouches for me. Let's get lost. When that thought comes in your mind, like, oh, I can't read the scriptures, you're like, no, I can. I can, I can, sit, I can literally sit down and just take five minutes and read a small section. Like, I can do that. Or, or he says, like, you can't reach your mates with Jesus. Have you tried it? Don't believe the lie. He accuses and only has power if you agree with it. So disagree. Say, no, not today, not tomorrow. I'm a child of God and he defines me. You're not going to accuse. The second way that the enemy gets at you as a Christian is this. And this is verse 9. Look at verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Leads astray. Maybe he, he calls good bad, and we believe it. He calls bad good, and we believe it. We buy into the lies that he brings. We're left confused. We're just, we've got this confused truth going on in our mind. We don't know what to think or what to believe. So many voices shout loud at us. Just takes us off, like pulls us away, you know. And you look at the Bible, and sometimes you're left thinking like, Phew. it can't mean that. Like, would God really say you start maybe doubting God at his words. The devil's pulling you away. He's leading you astray. Calling good, bad, and bad goods. It's not a new tactic, is it? He did it back in the Garden of Eden. with What the name? Adam and Eve. Did God really say? How do you respond when, when the devil seeks to lead you astray? Be serious about God and his words. Because where you get your truth from matters. You don't get your truth from TikTok scrolling through people who say a lot of trash with some vague authority that they've given to themselves. Don't get your authority or your, your truth from the news that you sit and look at every day or watch at 6 p.m. Don't get your authority from the echo chambers that, you, that you're in in your social world, your physical friends or your virtual friends who just say what you want them to hear. No, get your truth from God. That's the way to battle the enemy, isn't it? Say, no, Satan. I stand on this. This is the truth. This is what I'm going to believe. This is what I'm going to base my life on. And just see if he flees. Because if you want to make war against the enemy, then you've got to wake up as a Christian. You've got, you've got to ask God to do big things through you, you know? The enemy wants you to sleep, to stay silent, to be dormant. And that's one of my biggest prayers as we go through Revelation, that, that we would be those who have disruptive faith. Not faith that is just quiet and down there, but faith that is big and bold and kind of in your face faith. That changes the world, that, that is radical in love and sacrifice, that leads forwards with the truth of the gospel founded on Jesus and his blood spilt for his people. Disruptive faith that challenges the world around us and ultimately the enemy. So that the enemy's like, what? He woke up? She's going all out? Wouldn't that be fantastic? And so how does the dragon do this? Is he, there's this, this, this symbol, two sizes, the accusation, there's the leading astray. How does he do this? In reality, we're going to look at chapter 13 to see what this looks like in our world today. It's a bit mad, go with it. 
So we're going to look at, remember, we've got two signs, two beasts. We're on the two beasts now. Here's beast number one. And we're going to look at chapter 13, verse 1. Here we go. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head was a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard that had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies, to exercise his authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and then and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from before the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Now this account of this beast is very similar, if not almost identical, to a vision in Daniel chapter 7. And there it's very similar. And there this beast, we're told very explicitly, represents the kings and the kingdoms of the world that set themselves up against God and his ways. So here, because the Old Testament speaks into Revelation, we can see this beast is kings and kingdoms that sets themselves up against God. For John, as he's writing this, maybe he's got in mind the Roman Empire. Remember, we thought about the massive persecution that people, God's people faced in the first week. They were slaughtered, ultimately, under the rule of the Roman Empire. Perhaps Rome was the beast. But, but it's not just one entity. It's not just one thing that you say, this is the one beast. I think it applies to any nation across history who sets itself up against the Lamb. And perhaps you can think of nations that have come and gone that set themselves up in this way. It's got ten horns with crowns. It's got this kind of power and authority on the earth. It's got seven heads with blasphemous names against God. And then interestingly in verse 12, it's got this fatal wound that's been healed. It's kind of like a, sounds like a bit of a pretend resurrection or a kind of resurrection, doesn't it? Striking about a little bit like God, right? Because as we build up this picture of the dragon and the beast and the beast, it kind of feels like there's this false trinity in operation. Remember God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and here you've got a dragon and two beasts kind of pretending to be God, right? This beast is hard to kill. It's got a fatal wound, but it's been healed. It keeps on going on and on and popping up through history. What do the world do? They, they follow this beast. They're filled with wonder and awe. Ultimately, its objective is to take away any loyalty that we have to God and to put it onto the beast or to the dragon. 
kings and kingdoms that stand against God that Satan works through. And then the second beast is in the rest of chapter 13. Let's read it. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven, from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the, same, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. We're getting to the juicy bit. So you've got this second beast. It's got these two horns like a lamb. Jesus, remember Jesus. Like a lamb. But it's not a lamb because it speaks like a dragon. On the outside, it looks great. On the inside, it spews hatred, violence, hurt. It performs these miracles, doesn't it? It looks a bit true. It looks as though it could be maybe Jesus if you squint and just look, look like that. But it's not. It's, it's going out deceiving the world in verse 14. This beast is all about deception. We might think today of false prophets, those who claim to have truth, but inside the truth is just on the outside, and inside there's this, there's this kind of lie that comes out. False truth. Or perhaps religious institutions that set themselves up as great things in this life, in this world. And, and yet their focus is on themselves or the institution, not on God himself. They kind of set themselves up as God. They're, they're dancing around, forcing people to worship the first beast. And then you get this mark, the mark of the beast. It's a very contentious thing in Revelation. It's not your mobile phone. It's not a barcode in Tesco. It's not Amazon, it's not Trump, like, it's not the vaccine. 666 is a symbol because Revelation is apocalyptic writing. It's a symbol, not a code to be cracked. And verse 18 tells us this number is the number of a man. Or if you look at the little footnote, it is humanity's number. That is, the number for God, a perfect triune three God, would be 777. Seven is the number for God, completeness. And so 666 is just one less, isn't it? It kind of looks a bit like God. It's still got the three, but it's just one less. It's incomplete. And as these beasts, which is really evident, prance around on the earth, pretending to be God, deceiving the world, it's easy to think they are God's, but here it says, no, they're one less than God. They're 666, mere fakes, mere frauds. They look like it, but it's not the real thing. The best the beasts can do is to mimic God. But that's dangerous. And we've got to be on our guard for that. 
And then there's this mark, isn't there? The mark of the beast on the, what is it, on the, the foreheads or your right hands. And this is, I think, a direct correlation to, to Deuteronomy 6. Let me read you this. <clears throat> it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And here's the bit. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Here was a command to God's people, to all God's people, to take God's truth and to bind it to their hands and to their foreheads. Why? To show that God's truth should impact your minds and your actions. And so here you've got this, this image, which isn't this prayer of allegiance to God on the forehead and, and, and hands. This is a way of taking your gaze away from God. Right? This is the beast on your wrist, on your forehead. You're living for him. He, like, you might not know it, but that's what your life is about. It's another way of taking your gaze away from God and onto the enemy. So we need to wrap up. How do you fight these beasts? Look at the real lamb. Get your eyes on Jesus. Then you can spot a fake. You can spot a fraud a mile off then. Be all consumed with him. Know what he's like, what he does, what he, what he says. Search the scriptures. Spend time praying, listening and processing with God. And ultimately, what's the call to the Christian? Chapter 13, verse 10. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness. You're in a fight. And when the enemy prowls around you, you've got to keep going. You've got to stick to your guns and go big for God. The enemy will hate it, and he will come tearing after you. He will try and stop you with any means possible by saying, hey, come over here. This looks great. Or just, he would love to do that. God's got bigger plans for you. He wants you to have bold, extravagant faith. And if you want to fight if you're in it, if you're like, yeah, let's go. And listen to what it says. Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Messiah. For this accuser has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Don't pick up your pitchfork. Don't give it to your nephew. Tell him about Jesus. They triumphed by the blood of the Lamb. Get your gaze on him, and he will keep you going.